Masterclass in the second hour of the Wednesday edition of the show. And we also welcome your suggestions. Love getting your emails about the things, the topics that you'd love for us to spend this hour immersed in. And really the idea is that we get the experts, the aficionado, we get the leading, the, the, the thinkers, the leading thinkers on a particular topic. And uh, we spend this hour kind of uh, working our way through it so that we get an hour's uh, just a concentrated version of uh, what they've been learning and working on um, over many, many, many years. And we answer your questions as part of the masterclass. Um, and you can email azani at 702.co.za with your suggestions. Just before I went away, uh, we did a masterclass on wills, in fact, and that was also um, through a uh, suggestion from a request from one of our listeners. And so keep those coming, azania at 702.co.za. 702 Masterclass. So today for our masterclass, we're looking at residential um, community live organized residential communities, what it's like to live within these communities and the rules and regulations that govern them, because it's a decision that we make. It's a choice that we can make and we can opt to live in a residential estate or community because of some of the benefits that it offers. Things like added security. There's the use of uh, estate facilities. Um, often there's freedom for children to play. Um, the areas, common areas are well maintained. It can be quite attractive. In fact, in many places, these common areas can be beautiful and quite attractive. Um, and so there are lots of benefits. These are just some of them. But there's also um, a need to develop, a need to approve and implement rules and regulations that govern these sorts of communities at large. And this is the part that I think many people find unappealing about living in residential, uh, organized residential communities. But the reality is that rules and regulations um, are, govern us in different areas of life, right? Uh, that they're not endemic to residential communities alone. When you think of freestanding homes um, in, in, in our neighborhoods, um, shopping in our local malls, in fact, even when we fly on a plane, the rules and regulations driving through a game reserve. All of these come with certain rules and regulations which are largely designed to manage conditions in order for everyone to be able to use these spaces fairly and equitably. Um, and so the rules governing residential communities um, have, have been contentious, particularly over the last two weeks or so, because we saw the residents at um, the Blyde in Pretoria staging a protest after the Blyde Homeowners Association and Bowen Properties say that they, said that they were considering prohibiting short-term letting at the Blyde. Um, and so it's put these under the spotlight, you know, and that's why we decided to perhaps may uh, uh, make the space to be able to answer questions around the rules and regulations in organized residential communities. So do share with us some of the rules that perhaps have been debated um, within your homeowners association, if you're a trustee, for instance, or if you're a resident who's had to uh, take on uh, the homeowners association or uh, trustees and how they have governed these uh, communities, give us a call in this hour with your questions and comments, 011-883-0702. And this afternoon for this conversation, we join Jeff Gilmore. He's the president of um, the Association of Residential Communities, also known as ARC. ARC. Um, he's the president there. Good afternoon, Jeff. 
Oh, Zania, how are you? It's good to be here. Thank you for inviting me to share in this experience with you. Yeah, lovely to have you with us. But also, let's start by looking at where you come into this entire arrangement as the Association of Residential Communities. What is it that you do and the sort of support that you provide body corporates, um, homeowners associations and anyone managing these sorts of uh, uh, residential communities? Yeah, Zania. So we we formed the association um, in two thousand and and eight, where um, there was a strong need for for um, best practice solutions in all areas of community management and community leadership. You know what's really interesting about our industry is that the directors of a homeowners association or trustees of a body corporate are uh, volunteers who serve these communities on a part-time basis. So they're not paid employees of the association. they just residents themselves. And very often you find that they do not have access to um, best practice when it comes to all disciplines across the ambit of managing and directing a residential community. So we formed the association in order to develop best practice and to allow for residential estates to benchmark themselves against each other. Mm. So clearly, as you quite correctly said, the issue of rules and regulations is always the hot topic, and it has been for many years. Um, at the start of, of, of forming ARC, you know, most of the issues we dealt with was security and landscaping and beautification and golf courses and these kinds of things. And as, as the industry has grown and changed, um, more issues and more um, issues that are more difficult to manage such as what constitutes a good rule, what constitutes a bad rule, mm-hmm. what are residents rights when they live inside of a community. So we impart best practice, we we encourage networking, we, we um, organize member uh, meetings where they come together and share what they're doing, learn from each other, and then um, also enter into online learning programs to induct directors and trustees. You know, these directors only serve for a limited period of time then you have an annual general meeting. They all go and new directors and trustees mm-hmm. come on board and they, you know, have their own jobs and their own professions and their own skills and qualifications. And yet they're expected to fit right in and be able to effectively lead these communities across the country. Yeah. So and you know, the. Yeah, the point that you that you raised in the end, then we'll come back to some of the things that you've touched on. For instance, the lack of proper succession planning that I think um, can be a, 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 wit- a weakness rather um, if it's not done correctly. Uh, and even when you look at the average age of estate management, that if it's not um, inclusive or if it's not diverse enough, and if we don't plan around succession uh, properly, then we we can we we would be inviting a lot of problems absolutely right especially as it relates to the directors who serve on these boards um, it's as if you're running any company because um, most estates in the country are referred to as a non-profit company and have to comply with the company's act 
Um, so they are as if they are directors of any other organization. Um, there are other types of communities that aren't non-profit companies, but they're still uh, governed by a constitution and the law of the land. Um, most large estates do employ permanent full-time estate managers. Yeah. Um, even their succession planning is key. You know, the Companies Act requires that directors and trustees change from time to time, mm. even prescribing in their, in their governing documents how long they're allowed to serve. So one, on one hand, doesn't want a director or a trustee to serve for 10 or 20 years. One wants new blood into the community with fresh ideas. On the other hand, one can't be at risk in just uh, knowing that every single year the eight or nine directors are now gone and eight or nine brand new directors or trustees are then bought in. And by the time they've got their teeth into the nitty gritty of managing these communities, so their term has ended. Mm. But it is something that we are working very hard um, at in trying to get legislation to give more criteria to the qualifications and skills that a director of these HOAs need to comply with. Yeah, we'll talk about that because now you talk about legislation, it brings in government and other legislative bodies. I'll get your view. I just want to quickly get out of the way uh, another issue that you had raised earlier about uh, maybe you have some thinking on how the appointment can change because the way homeowners association companies and say other schemes elect directors and trustees can be another way weakness because leaders are not elected because of their skills or their knowledge in residential community matters it's only for instance it's a it's someone that i know that seems to be active or you know that the reasons why we nominate people may be so varied and um skills perhaps the level of skills and knowledge that they have uh, might not be adequate 100 percent correct designer you know, each each homeowners association or a body corporate in a sectional title scheme has an annual general meeting by law every year. Mm. And it's at that annual general meeting that nominations will be called for. And it is as simple as me being a, a owner nominating a next door neighbor without being facetious nominating my next door neighbor because I believe he or she will be a great director. And if they uh, um, accept that and people vote at the annual general meeting with not even having perhaps even met this person and all of a sudden their nomination is there and all of a sudden that particular uh, owner is a director of this company Mm. and is then expected to apply good governance, best practice, um, uh, create good rules, um, protect the the harmony in the community, protect their lifestyles, protect their investments, because that's essentially what they are doing. Yeah. You know, they strive to ensure that each um, property's investment is is um, insured through 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 good practice. Living in a community is a hell of a lot more than just having a beautiful home. Mm. You know, it's a, as you correctly said in your introduction, it's about great facilities. It's about uh, walkways, places where children can play, um, where, where there are practices in place about how people should behave 
irrespective, and I'm going to say it, speeding in estates as an example, or the use, as you referred to, of these uh, big facilities, as is the case in the blood. Mm. Listen, uh, let's take a break. Um, and when we come back, uh, we'll, be, we'll continue our masterclass with Jeff Gilmore. And I really want to get into uh, the conflicts that arise, as he's just touched on, you know, managing how people behave, managing for behavior, I think can be quite tricky. And sometimes the rules and regulations are there to give us a starting point. But in the implementation and I guess in managing these disputes and conflicts, um, things can certainly break down. So let's uh, talk about that when we come back after the break. Jeff Gilmore is the president of the Association of Residential Communities. 702 Masterclass. So we're taking your calls as part of this masterclass. It's 23 minutes past two, and we're talking about um, the rules and regulations in organized residential communities. Um, and uh, we're speaking to uh, Jeff Gilmore, the president of the Association of Residential Communities. They have some interesting industry data. Jeff, can you take us through some of the industry data on residential communities in South Africa, just to understand the scale? Yeah, uh, great question. So... So in our in our industry, uh, we have we have around fifty six thousand sectional title schemes, mm. um, and and just over four thousand free title schemes governed by a homeowners association. And um, research that was done about a year ago shows that property inside an organised community is valued at around a trillion rand, which is a third of the total property value, residential property value in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We collect about 14 billion, 14 to 15 billion rand a year in levies. And those levies are then um, used to fund the budget, um, which, which, which uh, then generates the income and allows us to then um, um, expend items on security, landscaping facilities, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So it's also, this is interesting, we we estimate about 9% of developed land in this country is taken up by organized communities. And we're looking at about about four and a half to five million people that reside in an organized community, whether that's a free title scheme or a sectional title scheme. So um, we're a very strong, very powerful industry. Um, And I mean, when we started 10 years ago, when ARC was formed, it wasn't even really regarded as an industry. You know, this is a place that we come to after work. You know, we go to the gates and all of a sudden we're in heaven and there's just beauty and the people are playing golf and I go home and I'm invited to an annual general meeting. And, uh, you know, um, is this an industry? It is indeed. A very big industry in Nigel. Yeah. yeah. We're getting questions and let's go to the lines, Togazani. You've given us a call from Kempton Park. Hi, Togazani. Hi, Azania. It's Togazani. How are you? I'm good. Welcome. Um, you have a question? You say you took your complex to CSOS? Yes, I took them to CSOS. Actually, it's not a question, Azania. It's a, it's a comment. Mm. Um, so in June, I, 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 my, my house was broken into. I live in a complex, right? So the guys that uh, broke into my uh, my house, they they broke down the boundary wall that is obviously onto my house yeah. 
to gain access. Now, when I reported this to the Homeowners Association, they told me that that was my responsibility. It's not the, the, the Homeowners Association's responsibility. Mm. So with that uh, disagreement, I took them to CISOs. And about three weeks back now, uh, CISOs came back with the outcome and they favored me because mm. I couldn't understand why the boundary wall is your... Uh, be, yeah, why, why, why is it my responsibility? Because it's got... It's got a, a, a razor fence. It's also got a, a electric fence. So they told me that those two are their responsibility, but the actual wall is my responsibility. Ah. So, but I'm waiting to see because the the source came back and said, okay, they need to credit me on my levy. So I'm waiting to see if it's going to happen for this month. Yeah, mm. uh, yeah. But yeah, it was quite interesting to, you know have that case and take it to CISOs and all that. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, Gozani, thank you so, for um, sharing that because it takes us into um, when conflicts arise from differences in interpretation uh, because from what you're saying, you understood the rules to be that they, it's the homeowners association's responsibility and they're saying, no, it is your responsibility. So there's a difference in interpretation and hence a third party needing to come in. Thank you for the question. No problem. Thank you so much, Azania. Yeah, thanks for the story that raises this question. Um, Jeff, your your, your thoughts, how do we, um, in your experience, dealing with conflict or disputes um, that have arisen out of differences in in interpretation? Yeah, so we recommend a couple of things, Azania. The first is that directors and trustees should um, become informed exactly on what the rights and responsibilities are of of homeowners and listening to the caller um, and his experience with the community scheme on board service it seems like that request was properly dealt with because a boundary wall would um, would fall within the auspices of common property but you know, it's 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 a big problem when rules are written in such a way that they are first of all could be outdated. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, they may not comply with the memorandum of incorporation or the constitution, and then thirdly, the MOI, the memorandum of incorporation, will in some cases not even comply with the Companies Act. So a boundary wall, listening to the speaker, is clearly a common, a regarded as a common area and would form part of the budget. You know, one would ask why, you know, an insurance company, or one would ask why that particular homeowners association was not insured against such occurrences, and therefore it wouldn't have been an issue in the first place. We also encourage homeowners associations to put in place internal dispute resolution procedures so that if somebody has a an issue with a particular rule or a particular law that they perhaps don't understand or it's a badly written rule, then they have a right of appeal. Mm. And generally, we encourage boards of directors to put an appeals committee in place so that their matter can be heard. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why the community scheme ombud service was formed was to serve as an alternate dispute resolution process, just to ensure that 
that um, that where there is conflict and where that conflict cannot be resolved internally, that at least we have a a service that can listen to those matters and make good judgments in those matters. Um, and even then, if perhaps you are not happy with that particular judgment of the of CSOS, one has other rights that you can then appeal on those to make sure that these disputes and conflicts. But I've got to say, Azania, that our estate managers, and I'm now just throwing out a number, mm. spend 60 to 70% of their time dealing with issues of conflict, conflict between one owner and another owner about a wall that's too high or a creeper that's growing or the dogs are barking or whatever the case may be, um, or disputes between a homeowner and a tenant hmm. or a homeowner and the board of directors where they feel that perhaps they are not treated uh, properly in, in a specific rule that's been applied. Yes, Jeff, let's let's pause there and we'll come back after headlines. 702 Masterclass. Right, and we continue uh, looking at rules and regulations of uh, organized residential communities and the, your calls are lined up. So, Jeff, uh, let's do that. We're speaking to Jeff Gilmore, president of the Association of Residential Communities, also known as ARC, um, and you can look at their website, uh, HO support.co.za let's first go to William William thank you for your patience um, you've been calling holding since just before the headlines uh, how can we help this afternoon um, I mean, thank you very much um, for taking my call I just want to find out something from um, your guest there um, around this new uh, act. Um, what, what does it say um, with homeowners association board of directors can we compare uh, the board of directors to hold an AGM in order to elect our own information officer as per uh, the request by this act? Uh, because of what I'm, what, what, what I'm thinking is we need to update our information according to that act um, as homeowners. So can we compare the AGM uh, for, the, for, for the board of directors to hold or can we use insults mm-hmm. if they don't to the request of us as homeowners. Right. Uh, Which law were you citing there? Your line isn't very clear, William, but the law for um, that you were citing around getting an information officer? The Popia Act. Oh, Popia Act. Okay. All right. There. Got it. Thank you. Um, Jeff? Uh, yeah, that's a very good question, Zanya. Um So the Popia Act has been promulgated and it does apply to us as residential estates. Um, It is a requirement that every single community appoint an information officer, but the registration of such officer has been postponed until the start of next year through uh, technical difficulties of the information regulator. But we strongly urge uh, all communities to appoint an information officer and to start ensuring that they become poppy compliant because that act, as I said, is promulgated. The regulator has been appointed and there are certain conditions in the personal, uh, the poppy act that, um, that, um, are going 
to um, become relevant to us. Mm. So uh, the appointment of an information officer, yes, um, it is necessary. The registration of such officer with the regulator has been postponed until early next year. But there are eight conditions in that act that every single business, including us, needs to comply with. And those conditions should already be um, um, worked through by every single residential community in the country. You know, we have a unique situation where, the, where we gather information from guests, visitors, golfers, mm. patrons to the restaurants, and how we deal with and protect that information is absolutely key. Um, so, you know, can one can compel the Homeowners Association to appoint an information officer? Well, if if the organization, if the estate doesn't do that, they're in breach of the Poppy Act. Okay. So it is really, really important. Although, as I said before, the physical registration with the regulator needs to happen, and that will be announced towards the end of the year. Right. William, thank you for that call. Next, we have Louis in Johannesburg. Hi, Louis. Hi there. Hi. Um, my problem is that I'm a, a member in a residence association, but it's not um, a body corporate. It's just a residence association. Mm. Um, the chairman is kind of a bully, and he bullies the committee into doing what he wants to do, and the committee are basically allowing him to do things that are not democratic. Hmm. So my question is, is there recourse to CSOS or to where? Mm. Where's the recourse? What can they do? Um, any advice there, Jeff? Yeah, you know, um, we hear this very, very often. Mm. Um, so I'm assuming this is an organized community with some form of registered homeowners association. Uh, William did say it's not a body corporate, so I'm assuming it's a free title development. Um, and there, then there would have to be in place some form of governing document referred to as a memorandum of incorporation. And if I was William, I would call for mm -hmm. that. It is, it is his right to get a copy of that document to uh, check in that document how directors um, are, um, are appointed, um, how long they can be appointed for, and what their roles and responsibilities are. Mm. And to insist from the homeowner association that he receives those documents, um, you know, all members of the association would have all of those documents in place. And William does have a right to receive those and to ask questions. There's nothing stopping William to call a meeting with the estate manager or the chairman of the board to be heard. You know, and all will depend on their governing documents, Zanya, um, and he should call for those. Okay. You know, alternatively, if he wants further, more specific advice, because I don't know the community is referring to, um, <laughs> then visit our website and contact me. I'm also happy to leave my contact details with your producer, um, and, and yeah. you can contact me. Let's see if I can be of, an, of assistance. All right. Louis, there you go. I'm going to uh, hand you back to my producer, so just quickly stay on the line. Okay. Thanks, Zanya. Thank you, Louis. Next, we go to Latins in Randburg. Hi, Latins. Uh, good day. Um, you know, I 
I actually have a few questions for for Jeff. Mm. I'm limited to two or three. Mm. I'm a property <laughs> investor, and I've got investments in various types of, inv- of, of properties now. Um, I've had to involve myself and be a director in a number of schemes, and actually I'm a chair for a number of them as well, simply because of the corruption that I became aware of within the industry. So I just want to hear Jeff's opinion on that and whether there's any measures regarding the regulations that he's spoken of, of trying to address the the corruption as a result of the owner apathy and the lack of understanding of, and or knowledge of amongst owners. The other thing is, um, um, maybe this has been addressed prior to me tuning in and so on, um, the legal standing of the association that Jeff uh, is, is with and the relationship with CISOs and so on. Okay. And also with the regulatory um, drive that they have there, are they also looking at giving CISOs some teeth as far as punitive costs and so on? Because a lot of the times you, you take matters to CISOs, there's mm-hmm. no punitive mm-hmm. costs. Mm-hmm. All these role players know that the consequences are really... Um, not biting, they don't, they mm, need so less sometimes. No implementation. So, yeah. yes, so, so, uh, you know, it, it's a great frustration and I did not want to be a director, but to, to guard my own investment, I had to be involved. <laughs> All right. That's why I'm involved. Right, Legends, thank you so much for those. Um, it is quite a few of them, and we've got to take a break uh, a, a break soon, Jeff, but I'll let you address um, the issues raised. First, which, which one do you want to take, corruption or questions around CSOS? So let's deal with CSOS first. Um, firstly, well done to the caller for standing up and serving on the board, um, if not only to protect his own investment, is to protect the common interests, mm. because that's what directors do, is they serve the common interests of the community. Um, on the question of CSOS not um, regarding punitive costs, it must remember be remember that CSOS is a regulatory authority where every decision or every ruling that CSOS makes needs to be for full implementability to be made an order of court to make that stand. Um, so it is only a court of law that can get involved in punitive costs and CSOS don't. Um, uh, CSOS have a very good helpline um, specifically for homeowners associations issues, and that is available on our website. And I suggest that the caller get hold of them to discuss to to discuss that. On the question of um, um, a- allegations about mismanagement and all of those good things, it is a it is a common problem through a lack of understanding by the owners of what their rights and responsibilities are and what the roles of the directors and trustees are. Because it is often a misunderstanding of what directors and trustees uh, do all day, what they impose, what levies they impose, and how they make rules and regulations that govern our communities. And it is really important. We encourage homeowners associations to have owner feedback sessions where they can make residents um, um, and specifically owners aware of those roles of directors and more specifically what a member's rights and responsibilities are in respect of 
um, the whole ambit of managing a residential community. The regulations he was referring to, I didn't quite get, um, but on our website, we have a whole range and I would encourage the caller to get in touch with ARC to perhaps become a member of the... Oh, I'll tell you what he was asking, the the legal status yes, of the association. Yes. So we are a, a voluntary association. We have about 450 uh, members that comprises about 65% of the total re- re- residential communities in the country in respect of number of homes. Um and those members um, then have access to all of the best practices and solutions and networking opportunities. So we're a voluntary organization. One doesn't or is not enforced to become a member. CSOS, however, is different. It's a regulatory authority. We have a memorandum of agreement with CSOS where we recognize the efforts of, of both organizations. But... ARC is a networking body. It's a service organization that assists homeowners associations to apply best practice, whereas CSOS is the regulatory authority for the industry. Got you. Uh, Let's take a quick break and then we return to conclude our masterclass with Jeff Gilmore, the president of the Association of Residential Communities. 702 Masterclass. Yeah, we're concluding our masterclass with my guest Jeff Gilmore, uh, president of the Association of Residential Communities. Gosh, this is such a contentious one. It's almost as if we would have needed two sessions to get through all your questions. We've got Mohammed now in Rustenburg. Hi, Mohammed. Mohammed. Good day. Yes, good day. Your question for Jeff? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, my question for Jeff is the following. We live in a, uh, in a homeowners association uh, estate, mm. and CSOS uh, has, uh, after the homeowners went to the SGM and got uh, a mandate from the homeowners to stop short-term rentals yeah. and uh, B&Bs in the estate. But subsequently, with the CSOS ruling, uh, the people still come in and use the the B&Bs and the SDRs, okay. and there's no way of stopping this at this stage. Mm, so uh, you want they're advice? On the pretense, yes, they're coming on the pretense that uh, there are visitors and guests mm. uh, on that pretense, and they come with their own remotes. Mm. So, Jeff, how do they resolve this one? You know, I got cut off there, um, so I didn't actually get the question. Please rephrase it for me. Mohammed is, lives within an estate, and uh, they've put an end. They've started to put an end to uh, to short term rentals, but it's still. And they got a positive judgment in their favour from CSOS, but residences are still doing that. Residents are still doing this, and people are coming in under the pretense that they are visitors. So he's looking for um, advice on how they can resolve this. Yeah, that's a that's an unbelievably common problem. Wow. Azania, you know, uh, there was a CSOS judgment where um, a community could restrict the period of short-term rentals. Mm. Um, um, and clearly it's a decision taken by the members. You know, the members, that would require a special resolution of members, okay. and members would then agree to that. And that would then become a new rule and regulation. And if that is being ignored, it means the directors and the trustees are probably not keeping on top of it. But you know what happens, Azania? 
Um, I go onto a website uh, through a bed and breakfast website and I get in direct contact with the owner. Okay. The owner then gives me an access code. So when I arrive at the gate, the security guard doesn't know that I'm mm. coming to any form of short-term rental operation, which means that I come in um, and that business still runs. And it is only when it is brought to the attention of the homeowners association that the HOA can do anything about it. And then the HOA has a responsibility okay. to close that establishment down. Hmm. But you know, you always have people that will break rules because they may have bought into the community on the basis that they could run an operation uh, with short-term rentals. Yeah. And especially in the larger estate, we don't know, as the caller correctly said, whether the person is a visitor, a guest, or in fact a tenant. Um, it's, hard to establish. Yeah. it's hard to establish. Yeah, it's hard to establish. Jeff, we're out of time, but thank you very much for your guidance. It is quite tricky, and we haven't even attended to all the questions that uh, came in. But we'll see how uh, this conversation can evolve in future. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, as I.